Our, our series is called Love Songs, and our, our, our text is the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is a, is a book in the Bible that really is a love song. It's a man and a woman who are singing a duet to each other. And at times, the duet that they're singing gets, gets pretty, pretty intense and, and pretty straightforward. And so the text that we're going to be looking at today is a pretty straightforward text. But really, it, it's a, you know, I know everything in, in this message today has led up to your understanding that I'm going to be talking about infidelity and its negative impact on marriage and what to do about it and so on. But the text that we're going to draw from Song of Solomon is early in a marriage relationship. And these are two people very much in love with each other. And frankly, they're about to make love. And so here's what the guy is saying to her. He's saying, you are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Now, if you just read on a little bit further, you're going to see he starts talking about a part of her anatomy that's pretty clear. Um, he's talking about the fact they're about to make love. And here's the thing he's saying to her is, look, this is a part of our lives that's just reserved for each other. He calls it, let's see, a private garden. He calls it a secluded spring. In other words, this is not for everybody. Well, the moment I, I read those texts, I, those words, I realize how much of a disconnect that's got to feel like with our culture today. Because in our culture, it's, it's presented as just the opposite. You know, sex is not just for one person. And, and you know, the, 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 hit, the private garden that he's talking about, I think the word for it today, or has been for the last decade or so, is sexually active. There's the idea of, you know, as long as you can keep this going, keep the ball in the air and keep other people from finding out, then you have as many partners as you can. And after all, it's entertaining. When I'm looking up a movie to see whether I want to go see it or not, oftentimes I'll see the initials AC for adult content. You know what adult content means 99 times out of 100? It means somebody's getting in bed with somebody else, either without a marriage covenant or breaking a marriage covenant. Why is that adult content? See, the, the thing that I'm saying to us is I think we, we have a little cultural hypocrisy going on here. And every once in a while, I don't hear this much about New Spring, but I do hear it about churches. People say, well, I don't know about going to church because there's so much hypocrisy in churches. And, and, and I, I hate to admit it, that's true a lot of times. But there's a lot of hypocrisy in movie houses too. I mean, can you imagine saying, I'm not going to see any movies because there's just too much hypocrisy there. And yet there is. Let me give you an example. If you go see a movie, you probably won't be long, especially if there's a political season going on where you're going to go see a movie about a political candidate who's like in politics or whatever, and he's like cheating on his spouse or whatever, and he's a good old boy and a party, you know, a, a party guy, and, and, or you know, she's a politician and she's seeing somebody that's not her husband. That's part of entertainment. But let me ask you a question. How does it look when it's John Edwards and it's a real guy? How does it look when a guy's hiding in a bathroom to keep the media from catching him? When his wife is dying with cancer, and now he's trying to summon up the courage to admit whether or not the baby is his. It's pretty sleazy, isn't it? I mean, here's John Edwards, a man who is a stalwart in his party. He couldn't even get members of his party to take his phone calls. It's interesting. On one hand, it's entertainment, but when it happens in real life, it's nauseating. I think it's time for us to summon up our intellectual and our spiritual courage to say, let's take a look at this today. And that's what we're going to do. And, and I know that my talk is going to be frank this morning, and, and I've been kind of talking to you about that, that, of course, here at New Spring, this room is, is pretty much an adult environment. And if you have small kids with you, that's your choice. And, and, and frankly, I, I, I know if if I had especially kids that were pre-adolescent, I'd, I think I'd want them to hear this because our culture today is just so whacked. And, and oftentimes, you know, the culture is screaming messages about sex and the church is just silent. And I can never figure out why that is. But today, 
we're taking the wraps off, and we're going to talk real honestly, without any hypocrisy, real straightforward message about infidelity. You know, people do break their vows all the time. I, it seems like hardly a week goes by that someone doesn't call me from out of state. You know, I've even had pastors call me. It just breaks my heart. And, and they'll say something like this, Mark, I really messed up this time. Or maybe someone will be in my office. Good person, good man, good woman. Mark, I really messed up this time. So today, I want us to just sort of look at adultery or infidelity, and I want us to see how it happens. Because here's the thing, if you can understand how Satan works in your life, you can defeat him. And by the way, just as you have a God who loves you, who wants the best for you, you have an enemy who hates you, and he wants to destroy your life. This is what Jesus said about him. Jesus called him a thief, and he said he comes to steal, kill, and destroy now, if a thief broke into your house, chances are he's not going to take your jar of pennies. He's going to try to find something that's really valuable. And, and so here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have at some point in your life invited Jesus Christ to become your Savior and Lord. What Satan clearly understands is he can never steal that from you. You are sealed by God's Holy Spirit. So at that point, he starts going after softer targets, what he can take from you. He'll try to, if you're a parent, he'll try to take your kids. If you're married, he's going to try to ruin your marriage. If, he, if you have a career that you love, he's going to try to mess with you in your career. He will just go after whatever he can take from you. And I can just tell you this, every, every God-following couple here today, and even if you're not a God-following couple, if you're just thinking about it, I can tell you he wants to wreck and ruin your marriage. So we need to understand how he works. And so today, what I want to do is I want to walk you through what I've seen, what I would consider to be the four stages of an affair. And these are just, these are just you know, thoughts that I've had listening to so many people through the years. So here we go. Let's, let's go into the first one. And, and at this point, nobody's in bed with anybody else. In fact, nobody may even be thinking about anybody else. We'll just call it stage one, something's missing. Something's missing. When you got married, if you're married, and I know that I may be talking to singles here today, and you could say, well, Mark, does this relate to me? If you ever think you're going to be married, it relates to you big time because you have an opportunity to learn these things on the ground floor. And even if you're single here today and you say, Mark, I don't think I'll ever be married, my guess is you have married friends who are going to come to you for counsel sometime, and, and you're just going to be set up to help them. So I just want to think everybody here today is going to find some part of this that's relational to you. But if you're married, this is going to be just really, really huge. When you got married, you got married because it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary love. You know, there's ordinary relationship, there's ordinary love, but you found someone, you found a guy, you found a gal that you said, my relationship with this person is extraordinary. And because it's extraordinary, you say, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Now, I know that in really toxic relationships, that may not happen. A guy may get married because his parents want him to get married. A woman may get married because she wants to have a baby or because all her friends are married. But I'm just moving all that toxic stuff off the table and, and assuming that that didn't happen with you. When you got married, you got married because you were in love. And you looked at that woman when she walked down the aisle and you said, that is my princess. That is my dream. This is the woman that is everything to me. And you know, I get to, we're a pretty young church here at New Spring and I'm doing weddings all the time. And I really love that side, especially, you know, you'll see a, a wedding where a groom hasn't seen the bride yet on the day of the, because I, I can't, you know, we have all kinds of weddings, but some, some people like to go old school on that. And, and it's really kind of cool to watch because I'm standing back there with the groom and his groomsmen 
and they're all dressed alike because nobody looks at the guys. And, you know, they're back there all, all shaking. And I love it. They're all walking around and all pacing. It's like, you know, it's like airplanes going around the runway back there in the back before they come out. And then there's that moment when the door opens and there's the bride and everybody stands. And that groom, I, I love because I'm always close to him. I get to watch the look on his face as he watches her come down the aisle. And then the vows that I use are pretty emotional. If you've ever heard the vows that I've written based on 1 Corinthians 13, they are really emotional. And when that gal looks at that guy and quotes these words, I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. It's hard to get married, hard to watch a wedding without tears coming into the bride's eyes as she looks at this guy and says, I will always believe the best about you. That's a wonderful time. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary love. I have ordinary affection for a lot of people, but I have extraordinary love for you. For most people, for most experts, the most difficult year of marriage is the first year of marriage. And why is that? In fact, for those of you who who are in that first year of marriage, I would recommend a book. And I I didn't intend to do this this morning, but you'll probably have to order it because it's been out for a long, long time. It's written by a couple of Christian psychologists, a man and a woman, Ed Wheat and Gloria Oak. It's called The First Year of Forever. It's a marvelous book. And what it's all about is the difficulty of the first year of marriage. Because if if we're not careful, extraordinary can become ordinary. Extraordinary care can become ordinary. When we're dating, we're in extraordinary love. So we're doing extraordinary things. And we're saying extraordinary words. Just like we talked about last week. You know, when the guy was saying to her, your words are like dessert to me. And she's saying, you know, your words are like kisses. I mean, in the early stages, it's extraordinary. But then after a while, we're in the house, we caught the person, we're paying the bills, we're dealing with the budget and the difficult things and all those cute things that used to just make us laugh about the guy we married or the gal we married. Now they're just annoying the fool out of us. And things that weren't getting said because we were just trying to get across the finish line and get married, now they're being said because we are married and extraordinary has become ordinary. Now, here's what happens in all of us. This is just the way we're wired. When extraordinary becomes ordinary, we start looking for extraordinary again. If extraordinary is ordinary, then I want adventure. I want something that shakes it all up. And there are legitimate ways to do that, but there are also illegitimate ways to do that. Our culture will supply a lot of those. Through, I just talked about entertainment. I want you to look at a text of Scripture with me. This is from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. Now, we're gonna, it's going to start off by, call, by saying she. There's a, there's a pronoun there that says she, but we're not talking about a woman here. We're just talking about Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, is personifying sexual misconduct and just calling it she. So we're talking about sexual misconduct here. He's writing to his son, but it could just as well be talking to a a, a daughter. So let's get those things clear from the very beginning. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come in with me, she urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes better. Let's talk about this for a moment and get this where we really understand it. What... Sexual misconduct says to us is monogamy 
is monotony. You know, I, I see every once in a while, you know, in, in, the, in, in education, there will be um, school systems that have monogamy classes or they'll have monogamy programs. And you will hear the social engineers who, who disrespect that. And they'll say, well, monogamy is a, is a good choice, but it's not reasonable. That's the concept here is monogamy is monotony. And this is exactly what the Bible has been talking about 3,000 years ago. It's saying sexual sin calls out and says, you know what, if you're with the same person all the time, that can't be interesting. Do something that you shouldn't do. Stolen waters, that's refreshing. Bread eaten in secret, man, it tastes better than other bread. But is that true? No, because if you steal something, you're going to get busted. See, the deal is, let me just go back and read this. I've got to read this one more time. It only works with certain people. She urges the simple to those who lack good judgment. I mean, to people who are smart, you, you tell a guy, hey, you know what? You want to have some fun? You're on a business trip. You're a long way away from your wife. She'll never find out. That's one of the biggest lies that Satan ever tells. One thing I've learned about this sin from watching it, it always comes out. Maybe sooner, maybe later, but it always comes out. But, you know, here's the message. Here's the talk. You're going to be a long way away from your wife. She won't ever find out. A guy who is smart is saying, you know what? If I'm not careful here, I'm going to wreck my life. I better check the price tags before I experience buyer's remorse on something I can't change. A smart woman will say, you know what? I am not going to ruin my most important relationship with a guy in my life. Maybe extraordinary has become ordinary. But I'm a God follower, and I believe that God is a God of resurrection. I believe that God can change my husband. I believe God can change my marriage. So just because this is a downtime, I'm not going to believe stolen waters are sweet. I'm not going to believe bread eaten in secret is refreshing. Verse 18 says, these are the people that believe the temptation. Little do they know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. But something's missing. From listening to hundreds of people who have gotten into affairs, I've learned the difference between how men and women approach infidelity. For a woman, what may be missing is intimacy. Men don't understand the distinction between sex and intimacy. Most men don't. For a man, sex is intimacy. But not necessarily to a woman. I, this is corny, but I heard a definition of intimacy. Someone just took the word and it says, into me see. In other words, look at me. Pay attention to who I am, to what I care about, to my emotions that you just think are annoying intimacy. And if intimacy is missing, for a woman it can be a craving that reaches out for adventure. It could be the independence. This is the one that, uh, you know, when I, when I, Meryl and I got married a long time ago, people got married younger, but people seem to get married older these days and for a lot of reasons and many of them good. But one thing that happens today is that guys and gals have a long time of independence before they get married. They, they may not get married until they're, you know, in, in their early 30s or even beyond that. 
And they've had a long time to go where they want to go and vacation where they want to vacation and spend money how they want to spend money. And, and sometimes it's difficult. And a woman could say, well, you know, I remember when I was on my own, I made, I made a good living. I took care of myself. I, you know, I, I paid my bills and I didn't run up, you know, charges on my credit card and, and I handled life well and I'm married to a guy and unfortunately he didn't grow up. Nobody taught him the value of a dollar. Most often with a woman, what's missing is the feeling of being pursued. Because when you're dating, guys are always pursuing, always chasing. But when you get married, it's like, okay, gotcha. Signed on the dotted line, dotted line. Something's missing. With a guy, most often it's just sex. <laughs> because it can be just the other way around. It could be that a woman is saying, okay, you know what? I've got him. He's now married to me. He's promised to me. That stage of our life is past, and now it's time for us to take care of the kids and pay the bills. Something's missing. Nobody's in bed yet. Nobody's calling anybody. Nobody's you know, even emailing anyone to talk to them or anything. It's just something's missing. See, here's the deal. And, and this is my whole talk today. And, and I've got a lot of things to say to you, but if we can just catch this stuff... When, 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 when it's still okay, when there's still daylight, if you're in your marriage today and you're just saying something's missing, and here's the thing that I, I, I often worry about, is that there's a woman who is saying something's missing, but I don't want to bother my husband with it right now. He's got so many things going on. Something's missing. Or a guy's saying something's missing, but my wife, she's just stressed and everything, so I don't want to talk to her about it right now. Hey, talk about it now. I mean, it, it, and it, it, if you go see a counselor, especially a, a, a believer who's a counselor, go see a, a Christian counselor, a Christian psychologist. I mean, catch it early. If something is missing, get coached up. Because if you can do it at stage one, you won't get to stage two, which is fantasy. If something is missing, where do I go next? I start fantasizing. Now, what is fantasizing? Fantasizing is playing a movie in your head of you with somebody else. Now, there's an interesting thing about fantasy, and I've listened to a lot of them. People told me their fantasies and what they thought about. One thing I've discovered about fantasies is that they tend to always have happy endings. Because, see, a fantasy is a movie that you write and you direct and you star in. And if you're writing the movie, you can make anything come out. I mean, maybe it's a fantasy about somebody you don't even know. Maybe it's just a fantasy about somebody imagined. Or it can become a fantasy about somebody real. And, and this is the thing that I guess if, if all you got, if, if you're married, is just this one line, it'd be worth driving to campus today for this very thing. We have to be careful about fantasies because fantasies are not real. We put the rosiest scenarios in fantasies. But it could be that you're saying, well, Mark, a fantasy is harmless. It, you know, I'm, I'm fantasizing about a woman. She's not even real. I'm just fantasizing about what I would li- who I would like to be married to. Or I'm just fantasizing about a guy on TV, Mark, or a guy in the movies, and he'll never meet me and I'll never meet him. But wow, you know, when I just see him on screen, he, you know, he just does it for me. And, and, and so I'm just, I just, fan- it's harmless. It's innocent. Nobody's getting in bed with anybody else. No, fantasizing is not harmless. Because something big is lost when we fantasize. It's called loyalty. Loyalty. If you're going to have a successful long-term marriage, it's going to take loyalty. 
You know why? Because every day is not going to be good. Every season is not going to be good. Sometimes you're going to be upset with each other. Sometimes you're going to have distance and you're going to have problems that you can't resolve. Sometimes your sex life is not going to be what you want it to be. But loyalty says, I am committed. I have a covenant working with this person and I am loyal to him. I may not like him today, but I am loyal to him. I may not like her today, but I am loyal to her. What happens when any of us start fantasizing is that we switch that loyalty from the person who deserves it and we give it to somebody else. And when the battle for loyalty is lost, we're in trouble. It goes from something's missing to fantasy to an intentional encounter. <laughs> the way our world works today, our next series is called Freaking Messed Up. It's the most important series I've ever done. I'm telling you, the wheels are falling off out there. Am I the only one noticing that? <laughs> hey, in our world today, If you're not safeguarded, you'll get in trouble. Intentional encounters, when we start focusing that fantasy on some person, and we start putting ourselves in that person's path, could be that we just go to coffee at the same time. We time it out so that we're at the coffee machine at the same time. Hey, did you catch that on television last night? Huh? Or it's when you're getting dressed in the morning, and you're checking out the outfits that you're, and just subconsciously you're asking yourself, I wonder if he would like this or if he would see me in this. It's timing going out to the parking lot at the same time. It's adding that personal compliment at the end of an email, volunteering to go on that trip that you know she'll be on, or just playing with words. That's a big thing today. You know, we're saying something, it could be taken innocently, but at the same time, eh, there's another meaning there. Inadvertent touching that's not inadvertent. Oh, nobody's getting in bed yet? Nobody's breaking marriage vows, per se. It's just that, <laughs> and this is the thing that I think needs to be said, it's just that for a few moments, we're back in high school. We may be 35, 40, 45 years old, but for a few moments, we're back in high school. We're flirting with somebody. We're just kind of having a little playful thing going on here. But the problem is, it's intentional. We're doing it on purpose. In Proverbs chapter 6, God writes a verse in the Bible that, I don't know, I'm sure, I think it would get a man's attention anyway. It says, can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? That's pretty rough. That's what, you know what God is saying is God is saying, listen, you can't play with this. Can you be intentional and not get burned? Because a lot of people have that idea. Well, I'm going to play around a little bit. I'm going to have this sort of like a little playful relationship with this guy at work. or I'm just going to have this little playful relationship on the Internet. And after all, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> the Bible says you can't build a fire in your lap, not burn your clothes. Stage four is irreversible damage. I just want to read this to you out of the Bible because I don't even know that I need to add too much to this. The Bible says hunger is no excuse for a thief to steal. In other words, if a guy is hungry and he steals, the Bible says that's still not an excuse. When he's caught, he has to pay it back, even if he has to put his whole house in hock. That's just stealing. But listen to this. Adultery 
is a brainless act, soul-destroying, self-destructive. Expect a bloody nose. Expect a black eye. Expect a reputation ruined for good. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. That's pretty strong, isn't it? See, our culture's missing that today. It's like, well, we'll do this. It'll be okay. I'll get by with it. If I, get, if I don't get by with it, well, I'll find some way to work through it. Not adultery. You steal something from someone, you can make restitution. You break something, you can buy them another one. But not adultery. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. So, how do we affair-proof our marriages? How do we affair-proof our lives? And I'm talking to those of you, hopefully, who've never gone down this road, but if you have gone down this road, stop now and say, okay, from here on, here's what we're going to do. Let me give you, and, and, and we'll, the first one I'm going to be talking, actually, the first one is all, this is a plug for next week, okay? The first one is don't let ordinary happen in your marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about sex and, and, and how fantastic it is with two people who love each other going to the book of Song of Solomon. Don't let, don't let your marriage life become ordinary. Don't let extraordinary become ordinary. Have extraordinary in your marriage. That takes work, takes focus, takes a whole lot of good stuff. But don't let ordinary happen. If you've got ordinary going on, break it up. We'll talk about that next week. Number two, have a security system. Most of us are around some kind of security system, either where we work or in our homes. You know, security systems have several things. First of all, the security system ha- has an access pad or a keypad. And a keypad demands an access code so that just not anybody can walk in to the house. Now, every single one of us who is married, we, we need a security system with a keypad. And, and, and the thing of it is, you know, I know, forgive me for breaking the sentence, but I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of relationships. And I'm a pretty transparent person. I'm a pretty open person. I don't just tell my faults. I tell them on stage. I tell them on television, in fact. I'm a pretty open person. And I have friends that can come in a little closer, and they know me a little better. But let me just tell you something. When it comes to knowing who I really am at the core, and my hopes and my dreams and my fears, there's only one person who knows that code. And that's Mary Alice. I've told her things I wouldn't tell anybody else. I've trusted her with things I wouldn't trust anybody else with. But see, here's the deal. If I start trusting, if I start giving somebody else the access code to me, it won't be long before that will affect my affections and it'll affect my physical relationships. I'm just going to tell you something. Because every once in a while I talk to somebody, well, Mark, he understands me. My husband doesn't understand me. Well, then if you'll talk to your husband, he will understand you. And I promise you, that guy at work that you think understands you, he doesn't understand his wife. Well, Mark, I can just tell her things I can't tell my wife. Let me tell you something. If that's where you are, you're about to get in real deep trouble. You're just scooping up a whole bunch of coals and putting them on your pants. Just keeping it real. 
Second thing that a security system has is alarms. You know, all of us need to have alarms that go off when we just start to take a false step. If we start getting too close to someone of the opposite sex and we can tell, ooh, there's just a little little vibe going on there, an alarm bell should go off. Here's the thing. Here's one thing that always troubles me. Sometimes I will talk to somebody and they got something a little bit going on and I don't think they're doing anything really wrong, but I can tell just a little bit inappropriate. And I'll say something and here's what they'll say back to me. They'll say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. If you say that, what you're saying is I don't have any alarms in my security system. I'm blessed also. We mentioned Mary Alice again. Mary Alice has set off a few alarms because guys are just oblivious sometimes. And Mary Alice is like, mm, I think I'd watch that a little bit. Security systems have cameras. I have a lot of cameras built into my security system. My wife has access to my computer. Other, others have access to my computer anytime. You say, Mark, I can't believe that. I, you know, yeah, you know what? Because I want scrutiny in my life. I want accountability in my life. All of us need that, whether it's having an accountability partner. But I'll just say this. One of the things that really troubles me today is I'll, I'll listen to husbands and wives, and they'll talk to me, and they'll, they'll talk about, well, my husband just doesn't want me anywhere near his computer. He doesn't want me to check anything out. Well, I want to tell you something. That rascal's got something going on. Let's just tell it like it is this morning. So well, my wife, she's got like, you know, she's, she like texts people all the time, but she doesn't want me to see who she's texting. Mm-mm. If you want to have an affair-proof marriage, you need some cameras built in. I know that's old school, but hey, I'm just fighting for your marriage today. I mean, I have begged God. This is not a sermon I want to deliver. I keep looking at my car keys because if I knew how before these services just to get in my Honda and drive away and not deliver this message, I would very much like to do it. But at the same time, I get the sense that this morning I'm fighting for some marriages here. And I'm playing hardball. And, and I don't want to wimp out and not give you what God wants you to hear. You need some cameras. <laughs> One of my favorite things that security systems have is a sign on the door. It says, this house is protected by a security system. Now, let's just, I, I've been real frank with you guys today. I, I think every man or woman, if you're married, you either have a sign on your door or you don't have a sign on your door. You know, I love when people have, have a sign on their door that this house is protected by a security system. It's telling a thief, just don't even try it. Don't, don't mess with the window. Don't even come up on the porch. This house is protected. And I think men and women do the same thing. I think men send the same signals. I think women send the signals to say, you know what? I am happily married. Just don't even mess with me. Don't try the compliments. Don't try the jive. I am happily married. I think you put that sign on your door, and it'll be amazing how you affair-proof your life. What happens if I've already fallen? Because I know that this could be a hard message for many today. Mark, what happens if I've already fallen? Okay. Number one. You turn from it now. You say, well, Mark, I'm, I'm going to try. No, 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 no. You don't ease out of sin. There's only one thing to do with sin. You turn from it now. End it now. Well, Mark, this is just going to break his heart. And, you know, he's got a family and they, they don't understand him. And No, no, no. You end it 
now, N-O-W. Because if you don't end it now, I don't think you're serious. And it doesn't matter what I think. I'm nobody, but God knows you're not serious. You end it now. Number two, you man up or you woman up about consequences because there will be consequences. You can't say, well, well, God forgives me, so everybody else needs to forgive me. It doesn't work that way. It means you're going to have to tell your husband. It means you're going to have to tell your wife. Just forget about dealing with God unless you're willing to do that one. So, well, Mark, I'm just going to tell God. I'm going to ask God, 1 John 1, 9. Ask God to forgive me, not if you're not serious. You man up. And you say, you know what? I did wrong. It's going to be expensive. But here's the thing that I've discovered. When we turn from our sin and we come before God and say, okay, God, whatever the, not that God is going to judge us for it because our sin was judged on the cross. It's just there's na- there are natural consequences to sin. When we, when we say, God, I'm, I'm ready to accept the consequences, the irony is, is we tend to find mercy. And the third thing, we put in a security system, and we say, by the grace of God, this will never happen to me again. And then you go on with your life. That's what you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today. I know this has been a tough talk. And for many of us, it finds us in odd places. But Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would tailor make this message for each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just pray a prayer with you. I do this every service. But if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, you can invite him. You can ask him to forgive you of your sins. I'm going to pray this prayer, and you pray it with me if you'd like for Christ to forgive you. Remember, Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the grave to give you everlasting life. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died to pay for my sins. Please forgive me. Save me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name. I know that was so quick. You probably don't have any idea what happened to you, but I, provi- I got a gift for you. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, if you take your worship folder out, it's detachable. Just check the box beside the little packet that says, I pray to receive Christ. If you drop it in the offering bags, we'll mail it to you this week. If you have a few extra seconds, you can just go right past those cameras to New Spring Store Guest Services, and they will give it to you today.